0: You are listening to Nina's Story, a son's experience with craniosynostosis on the Child Life On Call podcast.
1: It was an experience, again, like I said, I, I, that, that reminded me that I don't need to always go it alone, um, to have the support and to have the kindness and compassion of other people who... Um, Knew how scary it could be to watch your child go through an experience, like I said, that they didn't ask for and that they didn't deserve. Um, it was really, really sweet.
0: Hello, Childlife On Call listeners. I'm Katie Taylor, Certified Childlife Specialist, and you are listening to the first official episode of season two of the Childlife On Call podcast. You just heard from Nina, a mom who will share her story with us in just a few minutes. If you are joining this podcast community for the first time, welcome. We are so glad that you are here and hope you find whatever it is that you're searching for. If you are listening today, chances are you are a parent whose child has been through difficult experiences associated with illness, medical conditions, hospitalizations, and everything in between. If that is you, please know there is a whole community of parents who have walked in your shoes and want to share their stories so that you feel less alone. These stories and more are exactly what you will find on this podcast. We talk about everything from rare medical conditions to outpatient surgeries to long hospitalizations in the ICU and so much more. What we've learned from season one is that parents are finding, regardless of their child's diagnosis, there is something that they can relate to in each story shared in every episode of this podcast. I've also learned that many child life professionals and students are listening to this podcast, which is wonderful on so many levels. As child life specialists, we are constantly wanting to learn from the experience of patients and families that we are so honored to serve. So thank you to all the parents who willingly and bravely share their stories. This season, we will hear from more certified child life specialists around the country to learn more about what they do and specific tips and suggestions they have for families to make enduring medical experiences a little bit easier. Make sure you are following along with this podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find it searching for Child Life On Call. And please feel free to reach out to me through direct messages on any of those avenues or through my email with any questions or comments that you have. If you do like this podcast, please leave a review in iTunes to make it easier for other families to find us. Now let's get started with Nina's story as she describes her son's journey with craniosynostosis. Nina and her family live in Front Royal, Virginia, in a home which they affectionately call the River House. Here, Nina begins her story.
1: Hi, my name is Nina Elliott, and I'm so excited to be on uh, the podcast today talking about my beautiful fourth baby, Cohen. Uh, Cohen was born uh, at home he was a home birth I am one of those crunchy granola moms that doesn't has really not spend much time in a hospital at all Um, in fact uh, going back to even my own childhood my mother was in a car accident when I was 11 and so I remember being pregnant with my first my first baby and walking into a hospital to meet the doctor my very first doctor my very first ultrasound and just the smell of the hospital Absolutely had, uh, I experienced a visceral reaction of just dread and of heaviness and of sadness. And I was like going to my first appointment to see my first doctor with my first baby. And I just remember crying on the way home, feeling like it wasn't right. And I forced myself to go into that hospital several other times and I said, I can't do this. And so I ended up having all my babies at home. So my experience in a hospital, just that's kind of the background I wanted to say, um, I would call it a negative one. Um, And so fast forward, uh, fourth baby Cohen, he's born at home and it was a beautiful birth. It was one of the easiest births um, that I have had. He, um, uh, arrived in about three hours time, um, couple pushes and he was out and it was great. And the midwife that was helping at the time, there was two of them. Um, one of them was really calm and just was, was, was great. The other one was really high, kind of high energy and kind of high strung when she saw him. And she said, Nina, his head doesn't look right. And I was like, what do you mean? And she goes, he's got kind of a little ridge, like a, a bump on his forehead. And I'm a little concerned about it. And the older midwife that was there that was super calm, you know, assured her, you know, nothing was traumatic about that birth. Like he wasn't in the canal for a long time. So it didn't really make sense, but she was really concerned. So my pediatrician had come the next day, for the vitamin K shot and the different things. He was born like four in the morning. So I finally got my pediatrician to come around uh, noon the next day and she looked at it and she gave him the vitamin K shot and she just said, you know, we're going to keep an eye on this. His head does have a little bit of a ridge. Um, it doesn't seem like his birth was traumatic, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll check it out in a couple weeks time. So she, uh, she saw him again and that's when she referred me to an osteopathic doctor. Um, the ridge on his head was a little bit of a, down the middle of his, of his head, I would say, it's kind of sagittal, down the sagittal plane. Um, he had, I would call it like a dinosaur top, where like a triceratops has like, like, almost like a mohawk of the bone, if that makes sense. So, and then his forehead was a little protruded. Anyways, a couple, so I went to, I went to this osteopathic doctor that she referred me to. And I went six times and this man was not cheap. And he was really weird. If I could just say that office kind of gave me the heebie jeebies. Um, again, he was really quiet. And I remember sitting in the room with my baby at this point, he was about two months old. And I remember asking him so many questions. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? He would lay Cohen on the table and he would grab his head and he would just hold his head. He would move his hips around and then he would hold his head and he would close his eyes. And I was just, very curious what the heck was going on. And he would show me the different plates in the head and how the head has all these, um, there's there's several different plates, they all come together. There's a ridge down the center and then there's like a Y that forms in the back. And, um, and when babies are really young, these plates are um, supposed to be moldable and very shapeable because the baby's heads grow so fast the first year and then at at about the age of two those plates fuse together and so he was like just very optimistic that he could just mold this thing back together and he six treatments later and several hundred dollars later i was nursing cohen and katie i looked down and i'm like he's got a weird shaped head i don't know what this is and i googled on my iphone babies with funny shaped heads and lo and behold the very first picture that pops up is this little peanut shaped skull looked exactly like my son's very narrow head protruded forehead um and it said that that, that it was something called craniostono craniosynostosis had the hardest time saying that for like the entire time craniosynostosis and it's when the sagittal plates are fused and The beautiful thing is, there was a lady's blog that was like the next thing on Google, and I clicked it, and it was all about her journey documented. And there was a picture of her child, and his head looked exactly like Cohen's. And I read about her story, and the very thing she said that he needed was surgery, and my heart just sunk. So, my next phone call was to my pediatrician, and I went over to her place in DC, and she was horrified when she saw him. She was like, Where have you been? He's three months old, I haven't seen you and what happened with the osteopathic doctor. And so she called him right away. Um, and I was like, I'm sorry, he just didn't tell me anything after my last, you know, my last treatment. He just went radio silent. I didn't know what to do. So I just went to Google. And so she was, so she literally had the surgeon on the phone within the hour. And I was scheduled to, to go to children's hospital in DC, um, like a week later. So it all happened really fast. So um, and then a little background, my husband and I had a business, we were expanding into a new facility, there was so much going on with the expansion um, of our business, which included hiring about 40 people to add to our staff, um, moving into a building, moving equipment, it was it was absolute madness. Um, I'm also, I think I mentioned I'm a mom of, of four kids, I was homeschooling at the time, it just felt like, are you serious, this too? So um, we went to... Meet the first, meet the surgeon for the first time. Um, And I'm sitting in a hospital, just dreading this whole thing. Uh, And um, the surgeons, I think surgeons are a little different than maybe the rest of the hospital staff. Um, They're wonderful people and they're very smart people. Um, And I met our surgeon and he was very kind and answered all of our questions and he measured Cohen's head and he affirmed that he had this diagnosis. He referred me out to a CAT scan, a CT scan, um, just to make sure. And, um, anyways, we had this, the surgery scheduled a week from that. So literally within two weeks he would be in the, on the operating table. Um, one of the things that I have learned about myself is that I don't ask for help. And one of the beautiful things about having friends that have gone through tragedies is they know how hard it is to go through a tragedy without asking for help. Um, and I'm a very independent person. And so when I mentioned to some people at my church that this was happening, um, one of my friends who happens to be one of the pastor's uh, wives, she um, she had a son that had leukemia. And what shocked me and surprised me was the amount of people that reached out to me during the two weeks before his surgery. I had all these texts and all these things come in about people and they wanted to be there and they wanted to do all this. And and not to sound cold, but I was kind of, you know, I couldn't let this thing overwhelm me. I just couldn't. I ha- it had to be in its slot. It was like, okay, Cohen's going to have his surgery. But we also have all these other things happening. Um, and, and so to have this outpouring of, of people just um, wanting to help and wanting to give and wanting to just making sure that I was okay. It was like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. It's fine. Just pray for Cohen. It'll be fine. Um, I say all that to say that I didn't know how much I needed that love and that support. I didn't know. But they knew. So fast forward the day before the surgery. And it was like all of a sudden it occurred to me that the, he's gonna go under. I'm looking at my baby at this point, he's five months old, and um, we opted for the less invasive surgery because um, at the at the six month mark, they have to go in and actually sculpt the plates of the head. And it requires a blood transfusion. And, you know, I was just absolutely not going to have that. So we went for the less invasive, tried to get him into the surgery as soon as as possible. And um, after sitting with the surgeon right before, he's asking us if we have any questions and he's explaining it again. You know, what, what are you going to do? And he's going to go in and he's going to take a bone, the middle bone out of his head, the bone that had fused together needs to go. And I started to just panic a little bit like he's not going to go under and um I showed up to the hospital that morning with my baby and I walked in there's a little waiting area of children's and I have to say children's was not like the hospital that I remember when I was a kid, <laughs> it was fun and there was a balloon and the day of his surgery, it was a, there was a ballerina dancing on the stage down below to Mozart. I was like, what is this place? And we're walking down the halls of these brightly colored walls. And, um, we sit down in the room to fill out the paperwork and the team comes out to take Cohen in the back and they let us back there and they put Cohen in a little peach robe. And these kids came in the room and held him and were gentle and sweet with him And then they took him in the back room and that was it. And I was supposed to go out and wait. And when I went out to the waiting room and waited, I had friends with me who I didn't even ask to come, but they came and they brought pastries and coffee and um, a journal. And the journal was already full of prayers, which was so sweet. And I just sat with these friends and we laughed and we talked. My husband, however, was a hot mess and he was, he was beside himself. He was crying. He needed a moment. So he went into another room to just be by himself. Um, The surgery lasted an hour. Um, between the time that the surgery started and the time it ended, the doctor came out with a little lock of hair and gave it to my husband. And, uh, my husband just, again, just took the hair and went into the other room and just lost it. Um, anyway, they, they came out and the surgery was beautiful and we were escorted into a room to hold our son. And after seeing him from this head surgery, he was all wrapped in gauze and he was puffy from maybe the drugs they gave him. And he was lethargic. He was just the sweetest little angel baby, um, and they came in and told us the surgery was beautiful, that, you know, the bone was, everything was great, and uh, that he did really well, and then they were going to give me this room to recover in with my son, and it was just the weird, It was a, it was a surreal moment, and holding him for a good hour after the surgery, just cuddling him, watching him kind of rebound. Um, and I remember going to the room that I was to stay the night with my son and laying him in the crib. And I was shocked at how resilient these kids are, but I was also surprised at how, how sad the whole thing made me feel. Um, just sad, just that anyone has to go through this, that these little babies are, um, born into a world and subjected to just imperfections and ordeals so, so young in life. Like he didn't deserve this. He didn't need this. Um, I think that I think back to that time in the hospital and, um, he was napping in the bed and my friend, the one who'd had the child that had leukemia, she'd been in the hospital, you know, in and out for a good three years. She brought me a care package and it was a bag full full of I mean everything from a cushy blanket because the hospitals are freezing cold um, to an actual bowl she bought from Target and she bought boxed soup and magazines and lip gloss and water and hair ties and I mean you name it it was in this bag it was the care package of the world and I'm opening my care package and I'm sitting there with my beautiful baby and I remember distinctly walking over to the crib right before it was his time to go to bed and he was kicking and he was giggling And he just had a bone removed from his head and he's kicking and giggling like, like life is good. Um, and I think it was really in that moment that I realized, wow, we are being cared for. Everything is going to be okay. He, he doesn't, he doesn't know what just happened to him. (laughs) And, um, the rest of the time in the hospital, Katie was really sweet because the staff, um, it, it, if I could say it redeemed my view of hospitals would be an understatement. Um, the staff came in one after the other to check on him and to check on me. Um, the there was a woman who was a child life specialist there actually, and I didn't even know this, but apparently she went to my church, and so she the next day, that next morning when we all woke up, um, bought me a lunch and just came into the room with a big bag of it was a um, it was a big salad from Sweet Green and uh, and just hugged on us and prayed with us. And then I got to take my baby home and it was just, um, it was an experience again, like I said, I, I, that that reminded me that I don't need to always go it alone, um, to have the support and to have the kindness and compassion of other people who, um, knew how scary it could be to watch your child go through an experience. Like I said, that they didn't ask for (laughs) and that they didn't deserve, um,
2: it was really, really sweet. Sure. And it's, it sounds like your friends being there during the actual surgery kind of helped you maybe distract yourself a little bit from it um, and kind of helped you get through it. You know, it really did. I, I wouldn't have known what to
1: do with myself had I had not had them there. Um, I, but I also, Katie, I remember I, I had to allow them to comfort me, like, I had to be okay with saying like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not doing great right now, but I also couldn't hang on to that thought. I had to let them, you know, at one point they, they took me into the lobby and we were all talking about, you know, um, our most, like most embarrassing moments. And so at one point we were cracking up when we were laughing with these, you know, as my son was getting his head, um, you know, cut into, um, I had to allow them to give me that gift. Um, and I couldn't let the, um, the heaviness of what was happening, like take away from
2: that, if that makes sense. Um, I want to ask, how did you talk to your other three kids about what was happening and did they want to come to the hospital? I know it was kind of far from where you were living at the time, but how did you explain to them what was going on? Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: My daughter at the time she was, um, so Cohen was, yeah, she was nine at the time. Uh, and my son was seven and my other little boy was maybe like two and a half, three, two and a half. So my daughter knew what was going on. You know, it's funny because they don't – I don't think that they really understood the gravity of what was happening. So, you know, Mommy and Cohen are going to the hospital and Cohen's going to get a surgery. You know, it's – their their experience of, of hospitals and surgery is probably the closest thing was when Cohen cracked his head open and got two two stitches. <laughs> and they remembered it being a, 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 a fun adventure and coming home with, with lollipops. And so, you know, they weren't too scared. I think that his parents oftentimes – um, you know we're being watched, and we we are we don't realize you know how much our stress kind of comes off on onto our kids and how much they absorb that and I think in some of my own distraction, I didn't allow them to see the stress because I didn't allow myself to fully feel the stress around them if that makes you know
2: sense, sure, definitely, so what was the process for the discharge were you kind of scared about taking this baby who just had had surgery home or what was the process like afterward?
1: Oh yeah, it
2: was so crazy.
1: So the surgeon comes in our room at six in the morning to check on him, pulls off the the gauze hat he was wearing. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, his head, like what's, what am I going to see? And under it was this beautiful little, just beautifully stitched up scar or yeah, where it was stitched. And I asked him, I remember saying, are you going to put the hat back on? He's like, no, he doesn't need it. <laughs> like, what? Um, I guess just the comfort that, that they had that they were just going to do this thing and then let me take him home that day. It was a little weird. Um, you know, at one point in the middle of the day, the middle, no, the morning, he kept kicking off his monitor. And I remember saying something to the, the nurse that came in. I'm like, I'm so sorry, his monitor keeps coming off. She's like, Nina, he's fine. We're good. Like, really, <laughs> not a problem. Um, so I just think that being around such such confident people that, you know, that things had gone so well. And the fact that they, you know, I felt like they kind of knew best if they were ready to send me home, I guess, sure. Get me out of here. But, uh, yeah, I do remember, you know, packing up and, um, I think it was like 11 o'clock. They were ready to boot us out of there. They needed the room for somebody else. And they (laughs) offered me the bag of diapers that was, I was like, thanks, I'll take these home and we are on our way. Uh, it was weird. If I could just say it was just, it was good. It was a good weird, but it was like, wait, what? We just did that, and then I get to just go home.
2: Sure. So, yeah. And so uh, what was the follow-up um, with, uh, or I guess after this procedure, what did you have to do any kind of interventions with him in his head? Oh, gosh. That was actually the worst part. The surgery was the easiest part. So
1: this all happened in April, which meant that um, – uh, we were, we're in DC. We live on a swamp and we're approaching the summertime. And so we had to take him to, um, a specialist. It was way the heck out there from where we lived. It was a good 45 an hour drive. So, um, we had to go to this specialist who made him this thick acrylic helmet. And these aren't these little cute head shapers that you see a lot of babies wear, just you know torticollis from like lying down on their side or on their back too much. Like this was a this was a massive massive like hockey helmet kind of deal, where it was it was molding and shaping his head. And he had to go there every I want to say every week for the first month, and then every two weeks, and then you know kind of backed him off as his head grew. He got three helmets. He had to be sized for, and these things were so hot. So this poor little baby, um, lugging him around in this big, fat, thick acrylic helmet where it's see through and you can see just the sweat beads accumulate. Um, that was a, that was that was trying. Um, I tell you, that got old really fast. He had to wear that helmet for a solid year, um, and then several months afterward, I want to see maybe. 13, 14 months after the surgery. Um, and even now, his head is a little bit narrow. It didn't take the shape well. Um, we had to go to the surgeon a couple of times. And I remember my very first visit with the surgeon. Um, that wasn't fun either. You know, you, you get shuffled into the room and you wait for, you know, an hour before they even come in and see you. And then they see you for five seconds and they just go, How's it going? You go, It's fine. They go, Okay, great. Bye. <laughs> see you in six months or whatever. Um, but I remember, you know, Cohen had to have a lot of antibiotics right before the surgery. They had to give him antibiotics and, um, and my kids had never really been on antibiotics at all. And about a week after the surgery, he broke out in a pretty significant, um, skin rash all over his body, really real deep red patches. And I remember being convinced it was from the antibiotics. And the, of course, the surgeon was like, oh, well, that's not true. Um, and he was fine. After about a good couple of weeks and, you know, giving him some probiotics, he, he, he bounced back from that. Um, but yeah, definitely the hardest thing I'd say about the, the diagnosis he had was the, you know, the, the reshaping of the head after the surgery um, with the helmet. And, and honestly, Katie, like right now, so he's two. And like I said, his head's a little funny, uh, funny shape. They don't know what causes it. And so I've always been a little unsettled that, okay, so they went in, they did the surgery. Um, and, and one of the things in the back of my mind is what's to say that those plates aren't just going to fuse together again. Um, but, you know, the beautiful thing about this diagnosis is one, I think it's more common than and maybe I just am aware of it because I had it. So now I see it all over. Um, But um, the, the ramifications of not fixing it, is that it could lead to potential um, cognitive delay, um, brain damage uh, over time with pressure in the skull if the brain kid doesn't have room to grow. Um, the biggest, the, probably the biggest issue now. Kirk Cohen's head is fine. He's he's in the normal range. He's in the low end of normal, um, but it. it if there is any pressure in the brain it could cause um damage in the eyes, so I have to watch for his vision so I'll be taking him to you know to a special eye doctor um just to make sure that his vision is on on par so there's really no no problem going forward but you know it was funny raising this little boy um in a in a, an acrylic helmet for the first year of his life it really took a lot of the fear away as a mom um you know he's my youngest of four and he's got three brothers right above him so this kid would get knocked around. He would crawl and he would smash his head on, on chair legs or on tables <laughs> or like our coffee table corner and just keep on going. And, you know, because he had this like we called it his turtle shell. And so um, taking the helmet off was actually kind of scary. It was like, OK, sweetie. This is your real head now. You can't just do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's been so used to being able to just, like, do whatever he wants. <laughs> oh, he was. He would fall or something and hit his head on the floor, and he
1: would look at you like, what? be." <laughs>
2: <laughs> Poor thing. Oh, my gosh. What would you tell a parent who's going through, I guess, maybe they just find out that their child has gotten this diagnosis, and they find out that they need to have this impending surgery, and – um helmet wearing afterwards what would you tell them
1: you know um great question because I actually had someone reach out to me um maybe about a year after our surgery and 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 she had the same thing and she was a first-time mom and she just found out that her you know her one month old had the craniosynostosis and it was the sagittal kind just like Cohen and, and she was, Katie, she was beside herself. She was so distraught. She was so upset. She was so like, so freaked out. And so a friend offered, you know, Hey, I think I have a friend. I'm going to have you call her. She went through the surgery and, and, you know, I listened to all of her concerns and they were all valid concerns. And the, the, the beautiful thing is I was able to just to let her know, like everything is going to be okay. Um, These surgeons do this surgery for this baby, for this type of baby, for this age over and over and over again all day long. Like literally that's what the, I mean, there's so many beautiful things about specialized medicine. Um, It's not always awesome, but it's really beautiful for these types of things. And um, if so, what I would tell, what I told her on the phone, you know, and there's something beautiful about a shared story. It, It doesn't make you feel so alone. Um, but I just told her to reach out for people to help her. You know, I think that the thing that made it so wonderful for me was all the support that I felt and that I was in a position to receive it. You know, we had people bringing us dinners. Like I said, my friend that brought me the care package at the hospital, um, the people that, you know, wanted to be there during his surgery, I said, yes, please come like just take the help, take the support, take the love from other people. They want to give it to you um, and be open to it. Don't try to be all tough like you got this. Um, We all need each other. And um, and I would just say the babies, the babies are going to be great. They're resilient. You know, I remember the next. It was the next day after I took him from the hospital. You know, we went home that day and we napped like we were supposed to. And the next day was our grand opening. And I remember putting my kid in his pack and play. I'm sorry, in his little car seat and taking him over to our facility for our grand opening. And he was awesome. He was fine. He wasn't fuzzy. He was his old self. And I was just amazed. Any adult that had had this happen would have been probably a hot mess. You know, <laughs> leave me alone. Um, these kids are resilient and they're fighters. It's like they're born with this, this like fight for life. And it's really a beautiful thing to to watch. So I think I would just take a, take that person by the hand and I'd squeeze it and I'd say, it's going to be okay. And I'd give him a hug and I'd say, can I get you a latte? And that's what (laughs) I would
2: love that. Well, my next question was, um, if you could describe what Cohen has taught you through this experience, what would it be? But it sounds like you just said his resiliency and being able to just kind of snap back to real life is, I mean, children are amazing in that way. You know, it's so true. And I really think that, um,
1: oh gosh, this hasn't been fully formed yet before I say it, so I have to be careful. I I have to think first. Um, I really think that these formative years, the first couple of years, um, I think that things have more impact than we know and not on the things we think. For example, I don't think it's really that important that you like you sit down with your two-year-old and make sure he knows the ABCs. Like they're they're learning and absorbing feelings and emotions and interpreting the world around them in a way that I don't think we really understand. And I don't have anything to base that thought on except for that I watched my fourth child. And maybe there's something about birth order, but the the scrappiness of this kid, the feistiness of, the feistiness of this kid, the this is my kid who will um, take a hit or fall down or you know get pounced on by a brother or or, or have something happen to him that would would legitimately like that he he that would hit hurt a lot of other kids especially my own and I watch him bounce back so fast so easy like like I said I I have one word for Cohen and that's he's my scrappy he's my scrappy one um, and I don't know at such a young age for him to be exposed to a surgery that was so invasive on his body and for his body to fight to recover. Um, that's a, I think that's in his cells now. And I just, I'm excited to see what's going to come of this kid who I just think is such a fighter.
2: Oh, there's no doubt about it. I love that because I mean, he's overcome so much in just his first two years of life. It's incredible. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, any of our listeners want to connect with you or follow along with you? Um, is that okay? And where could they do that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Sure. Um, I am at, uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook so much anymore. Um, at Elliot Nina. That's my Instagram handle. And um, my 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 husband and I's business we've actually since closed our facility and now we are online so you can always find us at truewholehuman.com so all of our contact information is there and there's a contact thing in the very top corner um but on insta you'll see lots of photos of my children especially little
0: cohen um
1: and uh and you can get a hold of me there
0: Thank you, Nina, for sharing your story with our listeners today. I love the advice you gave about making a choice to receive help from those who love you and that it truly made a difference in how you were able to cope with everything that happened to Cohen. If you'd like to connect with Nina, I will link to her Instagram and her website on my show notes and uh, social media pages so that you can get in touch with her. The beautiful photos of Nina and her family were taken by Sonia Ruth Photography. As I said earlier, please follow along with us on social media, where you can receive updates about the families who share their stories and hear about upcoming episodes. I'm Katie Taylor. Thanks so much for listening.